0: Good morning, this week I, uh, we are talking about parenting and I find it interesting that on a week that I'm supposed to preach on parenting I really blew it as a parent. So this week I was taking Sydney to school after a doctor's appointment and all of a sudden I felt something hit the back of my chair and that was my daughter's carrier, her car seat. And I had driven her halfway to school without fastening her to the back seat. You see, my car was in the shop, and thankfully, graciously, Phil and Julie let me borrow one of their cars, and I'm so accustomed to clicking my daughter in her little carrier seat base that I had forgotten to strap her in with the seat belt. And so we drove probably six miles, with her completely unattached to the car. (coughs) So, since it's very evident that I am completely disqualified to give parenting advice, (laughs) I figured I would give you guys some advice from some of the best parents on the planet, celebrities. (laughs) Will Ferrell, who happens to be a dad of three, he jokes, he says this. He says, talk to your children at least once a week. If you've got time, do it two or three times a week. If you, I find the times where I let weeks and weeks go without talking to my children, it it starts to add up. (laughs) Amy Poehler, who's a mom of two, she says this: she says, always remember your kid's name. Always remember where you put your kid. Don't let your kid drive until their feet can reach the pedals. she says, use the right size of diapers for yourself. And when in doubt, make funny faces. Tina Fey, who uh, is also a mother of two, she, she told uh, Jimmy Fallon to embrace the weirdness. She said, you just want them to be little fun weirdos and nerds for as long as possible. And Mark Twain, who was a father of four, you might have heard this quote before, he said, when they become teenagers... What you need to do is you need to put them in a barrel and feed them through the knothole, and when they turn 16, you just stop up the knothole. <laughs> and finally, the last one, Hillary Duff, who happens to be a mom of one, and I realize I feel really old if Hillary Duff is a parent. If you even don't know who she is, she was a Disney star. What was her show? Somebody help me out. No. Nobody knows. <laughs> Hillary Duff, come on, guys. She, her Disney show. Okay, I can't. Whatever it was. Anyway, she says this. As a caring mom, don't put so much pressure on yourself. When one thing goes wrong, don't beat yourself up. And these quotes are funny, but that last one probably resonates with most of us who are parents, if not all of us. And really, it might resonate with all of us as people because we know what it is to beat ourselves up and put pressure on ourselves. And parenting... I've only nine months in, and I know it's going to get a lot harder, but it is overwhelming, and I know that I'm prone to put a lot of pressure on myself. I feel completely under-equipped and and really just kind of like, what am I doing? I don't have a clue. And in reality, what I think is the case is that nothing in our lives reveals our need for God's grace and mercy like parenting does. It's a really, really easy way to see that we do not have what it takes. We need God to change us if we're going to be the type of parent that we want to be, that our kids need. And so this morning, I want to talk a little bit about how we can be godly parents to our kids. That's the question I want to wrestle with, and we're going to look at Deuteronomy Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 through 9. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and flip there. If you need one, there's a blue one there in front of you. And this morning we're going to look at Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9 to, to find out how we can be godly parents to our kids. And one thing I want to just say real quick. I know that there are a number of us, quite a, actually quite a few of us, or, or uh, quite a bit of us in this room who may not be parents. And maybe, maybe you're saying, I don't know if I'm ever going to be a parent. I don't want you to check out because I believe that what God has to say to us today applies to all of us. Whether you have your own little ones or not, honestly, you're going to see that about half of this sermon applies very directly to everybody. And the second half is kind of more specific for kids, but it still has some great wisdom for all of us, regardless of where we're at. So please don't, don't check out. Please stay tuned in, and let's, let's hear from God today because I think he's got some great stuff for us. But before we read this, I want to pray, and then I'll ask you to stay in with me. Let's pray. Lord, when it comes to parenting as, as well as many things in life, um, we put a lot of pressure on ourselves. We feel overwhelmed. We know that our track record shows that we make a mess of things regularly. And we're thankful that you don't define us, you don't love us based on who we are and what we do, but based on who Jesus is and what he has done. And so I pray that grace would just cover us as we begin this time together today. That we would be able to breathe and that you would encourage us today with your word. I pray that these words would be like fresh wind in our sails and in our lungs. That we would be able to experience you, to be able to draw near to you in a profound way through your word. So we give you this time. We ask you to use it to point us back to your heart. Let me pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together and read this. This is Deuteronomy 6. We're going to begin in verse 4. Read read down through verse 9. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. You can take a seat. So this passage in Deuteronomy is known as the Shema and Shema is the Hebrew word for hear. And it's really kind of the core of the Jewish faith. So, I guess, like, at the Super Bowl in Jerusalem, they wouldn't have John 3.16, they would have Deuteronomy 6 held up. Like, it's kind of their, their banner. Uh, and so, this verse is really, really important. And in, in the first verse, in verse 4, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And when we, when we hear that, when we see this word Shema, in Hebrew, here in English, we need to understand that there was more to that than just the idea of listening. There was also the idea of obeying. So it was more than just some passive thing where you're, where you're taking it in. It's where you're also putting it into action. You're doing something based on this truth. So when, when Moses writes this, he's saying, take this to heart. Let this impact the way that you live. And then he goes on to say, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And so what he's basically saying here is, listen and obey that Yahweh, when it says LORD in all caps, in the ESV or really a lot of Bibles, when you see it as as LORD in all caps, it's talking about Yahweh, the personal name for God. He's saying Yahweh is our God. He is the one and only God. And the reason why this is so important for Israel to understand is that in, in their context, all of their neighbors worshipped a whole slew of gods. In the the ancient Near East, there were people, they they worshipped a sun god, they had a fertility god, they had a god of the crops, a god of the rain. There was a god for just about everything. But Moses steps in and says, listen, there is only one god, and his name is Yahweh. He is the only true god. These other gods are not gods at all. And so this is the god you need to know. This is the god that you need to take to heart. And what's interesting is that Yahweh is God's personal name, and what I think we're supposed to take away from this is that we're not just supposed to know about God. We're not just supposed to know that he exists, although that's important. We're also supposed to know God personally. We're supposed to know God intimately. We're supposed to have a relationship with him. That's what he was saying in this is you you really need to know this, and you really need to Act upon the reality that Yahweh is God. Take this to heart. And Yahweh had, at this point, He had revealed Himself to Israel. When you've traced the history up until this point. He had rescued them out of Egypt, under, out, out from under Pharaoh. He had led them safely through the Red Sea, and they had wandered in the desert for 40 years. And now, at this point in their history, They're getting ready to go into the promised land. And where they were going, their neighbors, like I said before, they worshipped all kinds of gods. And if they were going to be be able to remain faithful to God, and if they were going to be His people in the truest sense of the word, being people who were a blessing to others and communicated who God is by the way that they lived... They had to remain faithful to God. They had to be in relationship with Him. And the same is true of of us. If we're going to live this life in a way where our lives make a difference, where our lives are in line with God's purpose for the world, we have to know God and we have to be in relationship with Him. And it's more than just knowing about God. It's not just having a bunch of facts that we can sign off to or recite but being in relationship with him in such a way where we know him personally and we know him intimately. That's that's the way that God is. That's the way that he created us is to know him. And so, if we are going to be people who honor God with our lives, it begins with knowing him. If we're going to be parents who are godly, parents who do all of life, who raise our kids in a way that makes a difference for God and honors him, it begins with knowing God. We can't teach our kids to be godly without knowing God ourselves. One father shares a story. He says, when my small boy was playing with his buddies in the backyard, I overheard them talking one day, and the conversation was amusingly one of those, my dad is better than your dad. Routines. Anybody do that when you were a kid? I, my dad was kind of, kind of strong, so I used to tell other kids that my dad could beat their dad up. Why do kids do that? I don't know. But uh, the boy, the, one of the boys proudly said, my dad knows the mayor of our town. And then another little boy responded, that's nothing. My dad knows the governor of our state. And wondering what was going to come next in this little program of bragging, The father who who shares the story, he says this, Then I heard my son say, that's nothing. My dad knows God. He says, I slipped away from my place of eavesdropping with tears on my cheeks, and on my knees in my room, I prayed earnestly and gratefully, Oh God, I pray that my boy will always be able to say, my dad knows God. That's what we want our kids to be able to say. And that's what they truly really want to be able to say. And if we do that, that's success in parenting. But for our kids to say that, they have to see that. And if they're going to see that, we have to actually know God. You can't fake this, right? You want to know how deep somebody's commitment is to the Lord? You want to know how real their faith is? Don't ask their church. Ask their wife. Ask their kids. That's where this stuff really is lived out. That's where the rubber meets the road. My hope and my prayer for us as a church is that we would join this father in praying the same prayer, that our kids would be able to say, my dad, my mom knows God. And if we don't have kids, our prayer should be that our friends, our neighbors, those who are closest to us would be able to say this. Man, Jeremiah, he knows God. Lexi, she knows God. Fill in the blank with your name. Wouldn't that be a great legacy? Like if on your tombstone when you died, all they put was "So and so knew God." Mm. So, being a godly parent, I believe, begins with knowing God. Can't be like Him without knowing Him. Look at verses five and six. It says, "And these words that I commit, oh, I'm sorry. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might." And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. So, the next thing we see here is that Moses commanded them to love God. He commanded Israel to love God. And this is the first and greatest commandment in the Old Testament. Back in February, I believe it was, I preached on Matthew 22, which was the encounter where Jesus was interacting with the Pharisee, and the Pharisee asked Jesus, What is the greatest commandment in all of the law? Jesus quoted these exact verses. But you notice here that Moses describes the type of love that we're supposed to have for God. He says that we're supposed to love God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And really, we could, we could spend a lot of time breaking all of those down, but the basic point in all of this, I believe, is this. God calls us to love him completely, completely, and he calls us to love him exclusively. God calls us to love him completely, and he calls us to love him exclusively. So God doesn't just want part of us. He doesn't just want part of our hearts. He wants all of us. He wants all of our heart, and he doesn't just want some of our worship. He wants all of our worship. It's total. Is, is, that's what he's looking for, and so As parents, if we want to be godly parents, I believe it starts with knowing God, and not just mentally or doctrinally, but personally and intimately. But then secondly, from there, it moves into actually loving God. Setting your entire heart upon him. Him being the one that we find our hope, our joy in. Giving all of ourselves to him without restraint. That's how we... Do parenting. That's how we model for our kids what it is to know God and love Him. And so the reality, and this is, this is funny, I, I, I know that in just a few short years, probably within the next year even, I'm going to start to see this happen in my own life with, with Sydney. But our kids are watching us and they are becoming like us. When I talk to my parents, I mean, talk to my friends who have kids that are even just like two and three years old. They talk about how it's so scary how they talk like you, and they start to act like you. And you're kind of like, oh my gosh, those things that I can't stand about myself, I'm seeing in my kid as if they're a little mirror that just walks around everywhere, back, you know, kind of confronting me with my stuff. It's true. Our kids are going to know if we know God. They're going to see if we love God. And we can't just say a bunch of stuff to them, we've got to live it out and it's got to be something that's happening in us. Woodrow Wilson, he said this, he said, if you wish your children to be Christians, you must really take the trouble to be Christians yourselves. If you wish your children to be Christians, you must really take the trouble to be Christians yourselves. And sadly, I think there are a lot of people today who really want their kids to follow God, but they don't follow God. And they kind of wonder, they're kind of mystified when their teenager graduates high school and moves off to college and six months or a year later their life's a a mess and they're wandered really far from God And, and yeah, we all stand before God independently and you can be a great parent and your kid can still go off the deep end, so don't hear me wrong. But I think that there are some parents who are teaching their kids the right stuff but their life is disconnected from what they're teaching and their kids see right through it. So they've given the the gift of teaching their kids the Bible, but they haven't shown their kids who God is and what it is to love him. And So if we want to be godly parents, I believe that we also, in addition to knowing God, we've got to also love God. And Let's look at verses 7 through 9. It says, You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way. And when you lie down and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. So back in verse 7, we read, you shall teach them diligently to your children. What is he talking about whenever he says them? Because in all of these verses, we see the word them a lot. We, get, we need to make sure we know what that is. It's everything that we've already covered. He's saying you should teach diligently your kids that Yahweh is the one and only God, and that we are called to love him completely and exclusively. That's the content of what he's talking about here. So the idea is that we are supposed to first start with knowing God personally and intimately, and loving him completely and exclusively, and then out of that comes this command to teach our kids to do the exact same. To, to do what we're already doing, hopefully, knowing God and loving God. So our responsibility, our calling as parents is to teach our kids to know and love God. And he gives us some really, really good practical how-tos of how to do this, but we've got we to kind of look at these in detail. Some of the language is kind of funny. Um, kind of seems a little bit uh, archaic at first, but I want to I walk through it, and I think it's going to give us a lot of practical advice. So, first of all, he says that we're called to teach our children this diligently. And so, I, wanna, I want to I be really clear on something. I think this is really, really important for us to grasp. As a parent, God is not expecting you or me to be perfect in our parenting. He actually knows that we're not going to be, right? But what I do believe that he calls us to be is to be persistent. I think that's another way to look at the word diligent. We're called to diligently teach our kids. We're supposed to be persistent in that. And that means that we show up. That means that we keep our skin in the game, even when we blow it, even when we fail. We don't throw in the towel and just say, you know what, I just can't do this. It means that we stay in the game and we have a plan for it, for our parenting. We stay committed to it and we don't give up. And there's some ways that we can be persistent. There's some ways that we can be diligent. Look at verse 7. He says, You shall teach them diligently to your children, and here's the practicals, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way. So the first way that we learn here that we can diligently teach our kids to know and love God is that we teach them, this is on your outline if you're following along, not just somewhere, but we teach our kids anywhere and everywhere. Not just somewhere, but anywhere and everywhere. That's this idea of when you're at home and when you walk by the way. Those are supposed to be bookends kind of describing in every locale of life, teach your children. Everywhere you go is an opportunity to pass on knowledge about God love of God. So what does that look like? If you've got a toddler and maybe you're, you you know, it's the summertime and you're laying out in the backyard, you've got a blanket down and you want to look at the stars with your three-year-old. As you look at those stars, don't just marvel at the stars. Help your kid understand that there's somebody who created those stars and he knows them all by name. Use creation to impart knowledge about God to your kids. Or maybe fast forward down the road when your kids are teenagers and you're watching a movie as a family and maybe there's one of those scenes that's kind of awkward, the morality kind of rubs up and collides with your beliefs as a family. Rather than just kind of like covering their eyes and hitting fast forward, what if you, I mean you can do that too, but what if you pause the movie and yeah, your teenagers will look at you and roll their eyes But what if you pause the movie and talk about that? Go through those difficult topics. You know, if it's a sex scene or you've seen kids, you know, maybe they're showing some teenagers showing up at a party. Talk through that. Don't pass up the opportunities that God gives you in everyday life. Because the reality is that he desires for us not to just teach our kids on Sundays at church or maybe like in some little window of time at home once a week when we have a family devotional, which that's great. But it shouldn't stop there. So don't just keep teach your kids somewhere, but anywhere and everywhere. And the second thing we see is that we are to teach our children to know and love God not just any time. Sorry, not just sometime. I got that backwards. Not just sometime, but anytime and all the time. The next verse, the next part we read there says, "You shall you shall teach them diligently to your children when you walk when." when you w- sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and then the next thing we read is, and when you lie down and when you rise. And so what this is, this is another bookend, and he's basically saying from sunup to sundown, class is in session when it comes to parenting. All day long, I desire for you to teach your kids to know me and to love me. And so one of, what I think that means for us is... We should involve our kids in ways that God is teaching us all throughout of, of life all throughout life. And so one of the things that I, I think is is a really kind of one of the easier ways to do this is we involve our kids in teaching them that God is the source of all good and all blessing. So when we're going through a season when God is blessing us, maybe we got a promotion, or maybe we just bought a new house, or God blessed us and and we we got a a new car, or new to us. We teach our kids that that comes from the hand of God, that it isn't just that Daddy goes to work and works real hard and gets a paycheck, but everything we have comes from God. We teach our kids that He is the provider of all things, that He is the source of all good. But I think the other part of life that sometimes is more difficult to invite our kids into and is sometimes harder to teach them is when life is falling apart. When the bottom falls out, and it's, it's not just raining, it's storming and it's flooding, we can also praise and cry out to God, mourning in the midst of our sadness, and teach our kids that even though life around us is falling apart, God is faithful and he is enough. And we can pass on this really valuable lesson to them that faith Our faith in God isn't tossed to and fro by the waves and the ups and downs of life. It's rooted in His faithfulness to us. And our kids see that when we stand in the midst of difficulty, when we praise God even when things are not good. And then the third way that we can diligently teach our kids to know and love God is we can teach them not just with our lips, but also with our lives. Not just with our lips, but also with our lives. Look at verses 8 and 9 with me. He says, You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. The Jews took this literally, and so they had things that they wore on their bodies, and they had little phylacteries with copies of the law in them hanging from their, their, their brow. But I don't think that's really the point of this passage. I think it's meant to be taken metaphorically and the point I believe is that our knowledge and love for God should be so real and so impacting us that it's evident in the way that we live. So the gospel should be so active in our hearts on the inside that it shows up in our lives on the outside. The the principle, I think, that, that we see in this passage, and especially in these verses, is that knowing and loving God is not just something that is taught. It's also something that is caught. It's not just something that we, that we pass on to our kids with our words. It really is something that they will get in the way that we live. And, and if, if, the, if both don't line up, we really are missing the boat. Like we said before, our children, they're, they're watching us. We can't change this reality. They're watching us, trying to, waiting and, and, and trying to see, do we have the type of faith that we talk about? Do we really live this out? And so God wants his grace, his truth to be lived out in our personal life, but I believe he also wants it to be lived out in our homes. And when you look at, at verse 9, so in verse 8, he talks about how it should be bound on our person. And then in verse 9, he says, you shall write them on the doorpost of your home. Now, we could the easy way to obey this would be to like go by like 50 crosses and just plaster your house in crosses. But I think what he's getting at here is metaphorically what he's saying is everything that happens in your home, start to finish, should be so impacted by knowing and loving God that God's love, His grace, His truth is on display in and throughout your home. So when people come to your house and they sit at your dinner table with you, do they experience the love and grace of God? When your kids have friends over and they spend the night, do they see the character and love of God in your family? Do they experience the fact that he loves all people and he desires all people to know him? God has designed our families to be a living portrait of his character and his love. And there's one more that I want to briefly talk about. In the last part of verse 9, it says, You shall write them on their doorpost of your house. And he also says, And on your gates. And what I believe this is referring to is the gates of the city. And so what I think he's communicating here is that our love for God, our knowledge of God should impact us personally. It should impact our family. And it should also impact our community, our neighborhood, our city. Our love for God, our faith in him should so change us that everywhere we go, every every place we are, all the people we interact with should see God in us. They should see his love in the way that we interact with people. One of the ways that we can apply this sermon today as a church, as a collective group, is to Teach one another's children these things, to know and love God collectively. You know, one of the things that's a, that's a reality, when you look at Scripture, each one of us belongs to at least two families. You have your normal earthly family, the family you have, like, like I have, where Lexi and I have committed in, ma- in marriage, and we have a child. That's our, one of our families. But regardless of if you're single, married, have kids, or don't, we all belong to another family, right? The body of Christ. We're considered the family of God. And I believe that God calls all of us to pass on knowledge of Him, love for Him to our kids as a group, as a body. So regardless if you have kids of your own, you have an opportunity, a calling, to be involved in imparting the glory of God to the other kids that are a part of our community. And bless my heart immensely this week to read Sarah Joe's blog post. Some of you probably interacted with this via Facebook, but I know there's probably some of you that didn't. And so I, I want to share a portion of this because it's a window into what I believe God will do as we show up and, and, and invest in our kids, even if we don't have kids of our own. And Sarah Joe, as you know, she doesn't have any kids of her own. But here's, here's what she read, uh, wrote. She says... Lucas, as he rolls his eyes while simultaneously grinning at me. Andress's sweet giggles when I kiss his cheek. Judah's half-smile, shy with a promise of more if you persevere. Lisa's boundless energy and Jamie's thoughts profound for people twice her age. Hannah's inquisitiveness, which works to make sense of everything. Lydia's pure joy and Joel's mischievous glint. Asa's worship face and Blaze's insistent, insistent clapping. Alice's transition from shy to full blown best friend and Emerson's bold poking of my husband. Josiah's otherworldly manners and Annabelle's pert but sweet confidence. Seth's air of grown up sincerity while taking the offering or reading scripture. Hayden and Indy's obvious corroboration to fill every moment they can get their hands on. And little Zach Gay, whose smile explodes over his entire face, flinging itself across the pew into my heart, waking me from a state of half-worship right before he falls off of that pew. I did something last year which was huge for me. I taught Sunday school for two months in a row. I taught it during one of the biggest crises of my life when my thoughts were often swirling with confusion, pain, and darkness. I would go and read a story and sing a song and glue some sticks and come away with all the joy which children freely give, all the hope which they unassumingly represent, and all the wonder at the miracles of God and the faith when they pray their little prayers and the excitement about biblical characters and unfettered acceptance of grace." No wonder, God says in Matthew 18, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Those children showed me the kingdom when I most needed to find the way, and they continue to show it to me every single Sunday. And I read that because she's not here this weekend, otherwise I would have asked her to share. But the reason I share that is, as parents, we, we experience this, this reality of being blessed by our kids. But sometimes I wonder at the, at, the, at the corporate level as a church, are we missing out on a huge blessing that God has for us when we don't spend time with our kids? I mean, I believe that he wants to use us to teach them to know and love God. But as Sarah Joe's words so beautifully portray, what if he wants to teach us to know and love him through their faith and their joy. I just want to, this is a shameless request. As your pastor, it would really bless me, it would bless my heart, if as as, as a church body, we all chose to invest in the little kids in our community. If we all chose to serve in our children's ministry, and that may be, on a weekly basis but it probably won't be for everybody so it might just be once a month or even once a quarter but I believe that if we all decided to do this together our kids would benefit and probably even more importantly we would benefit during the school year we've got folks I don't know if you know this but we have a number of people who commit to serve in our children's ministry every single Sunday they don't take a break, ever. They're in there every week. And, th- and those folks are worn out, and we're about to enter into a summer season where they have told Kathy, hey, see you in August or September. I'm, I'm out, see ya. And rightfully so, because they work their tails off. And we are at a point in our church calendar where we really, really, really need your help. Like I said, it may not be every week, but if you could sign up to serve once a month, maybe once this summer, start somewhere. It would really be a blessing to our church, and I believe it would be a blessing to you. Our little ones need you, and you need them. And I want to, before I close, I just want to be really clear on something. I don't know if your heart gets heavy when you hear a sermon like this, because my heart is heavy even preaching it. And here's the reason why. Knowing and loving God and teaching our kids to know and love God is a very tall order. And the reality is we all know that we fall short of this, right? If you don't, then we really need to talk. But here's the reality. This is what God calls us to, but he knows that we are not going to do this perfectly. And like I said before, that's okay. He just wants us to stay in the game and to be persistent. But I want to be really clear on something, and that is this. The gospel, the good news of the grace of Jesus, covers all of our sin, including our parenting mistakes and blunders. And we really need to remember that because we're going to continue to blow it like we have in the past. And in those moments, we have a choice. We can either run to shame and despair, or we can run to the cross and remind ourselves that Jesus' spotless blood covers that failure, just like every other failure in my life and in your life. Because of Christ's life, death, and resurrection, our failures as parents or otherwise do not define us. They don't have the final say. We've been forgiven, we've been set free, and we've been reconciled to God. Every single one of us who has trusted in Jesus has been declared righteous, and there's nothing that can change that. So no matter how you fail, no matter how you're going to fail as a parent or otherwise, your debt has been paid and you are set free. So what I encourage you to do today is maybe it's it's an opportunity to come back into the presence of the Lord and say, you know, I've been living in a cloud of confusion. I've been swimming in shame and guilt over the ways that I've dropped the ball as a parent, over the ways that I've failed, would you please give me the grace to accept your forgiveness? Would you give me the mercy to move forward, leaving all of this in the the past, trusting that you will empower me and give me everything I need to be able to walk with you, to know you, to love you, and teach my kids to do the same? And your grace covers the moments that I'm going to drop the ball. We need that. We need to know that we can get off the treadmill of guilt and shame in every area of life, including our parenting. So don't stay in a place where you just think about how much you've messed up. Set your mind and set your eyes on Jesus and remind yourself, That God sees you completely righteous, completely spotless, completely washed clean. And let that be the reality that changes the way that you live today, tomorrow, and the future. God wants us to know him. He wants us to love him. And he wants us to teach our kids to know and love him. And he'll give us the grace to do that. And when we fail, it'll be covered and we can move on. We don't have to live dwelling on the past, dwelling on mistakes. Let's pray.